stop. All the ladies begging, please. Spun fries into gold. Over one billion souls. If you keep asking, you're about to get told. Yeah! I'm the boss, the star of the show. You get your break when I say so. The big cheese, the head to the table. Frying up nuggets as fast as I'm able. I got the arches, I got the play place. Got it all prepared and your cheese for a face. Now I'm the boss and you're the cook. Dave, the ultimate fan here with us, as we do every week, our producer Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have, that's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts. And you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Working Fans Podcast. We're going to do a day one WrestleMania recap right now where me and Dave are going to going to break down day one of WrestleMania and we're going to talk about all the news from yesterday. Dave, say hi to the people. Hey! <laughs> yeah, How Dave. <laughs> Yeah, all of us are safe and sound right now from COVID-19. We can't all be together to do the podcast in the same room because of federal restrictions. I think they're just trying to hold us down. Hold us down. You can't hold the working man's down. All right, the working fans. You know who we are. We're working men. We're working fans. Exactly. Joe, don't get upset at Dave when you hear that. So Dave, let's talk about day one. What, what did you like? What did you dislike? You want to go match right. by match, so, or I liked it. Well, I liked it overall. I mean, it wasn't one of the best manias, but as you know, I'm a, a guy who likes to have the crowd there. I, uh, I feed off that ambiance, so it's tough for me. Now, uh, I had texted you actually in the middle of this. I think right after the ladder match, I was going to bed. I was getting tired, and I said, ah. So I put my phone in another room to charge it. And I decided to watch, I think it was Owens and Rollins next. And they won me over. It kept me uh, going because Rollins and Owens, I thought, really tore the house down. And because also their style, they were so verbal. And I think when you don't have a crowd, just talking and making that noise really helps. Uh, I liked it in the beginning. And I know we'll get a little more on this with you because you're a big fan. 
the Kabuki Warriors versus Cross and Bliss matchup. Anyway, I'm glad it kept my patience up because I thought Braun and Goldberg's were what it needed. But what we're going to talk about mainly here, which I've seen a lot of positive feedback on, and, and I actually enjoyed it too. I'm curious what your thoughts are, though. The Boneyard match. Taker, Styles, very unique. Kind of like the deletion stuff, the ultimate, the final deletion stuff with Matt Hardy. I wouldn't be surprised if Borash was probably on this since he works for WWE now. Very interesting. I, I really enjoyed this and it was something different it's not something i'd want to see all the time but uh, i did like it in this setting uh anyway that was some of my thoughts i did enjoy it i thought that the boneyard match was very good i thought that they did a tremendous job of ripping off matt hardy they uh it wasn't horrible there's got to be an original somewhere <laughs> exactly that's well i just think it's ironic because vince didn't actually like what Matt Hardy was doing and didn't want to do it with Matt Hardy, but I think it's a little ironic that they pulled it off with Taker, where Vince sees Taker as more of a star, so maybe that's why the idea was good compared to Matt Hardy, who Vince doesn't see as a superstar. That, and maybe we just needed a damn pandemic for uh, Vince to really pull the trigger on something. It could be. I also agree with you. Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins showed what it could be. Right. And if you do it that way, you need to, without a crowd, bring more of the actual verbal. Yes. Because you don't have the crowd reacting, so you need the wrestlers to react more. And that is the whole point of what they do when they're at the performance center. When you're at the performance center, they have something that they do where they have you just put on a match every day with somebody else with no crowd there. And the whole reason they're doing that is not just to get you to go through the motions of the moves. It is to get you to learn how to express yourself without a crowd because if you get to that point, then when you're in front of the crowd, you're able to do it more. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, also that crazy dive Kevin would take on later in the show too was uh, absolutely nuts. Well, what... Well, somebody you'll see who's an expert tomorrow, or today, sorry, no longer tomorrow, today, is John Cena. John Cena, when he does his regular match, if you're in the first, like, 16 rows, you will hear the communication that you heard in that match yesterday, because that is literally what he does. And that's what has set him apart for so long, is that he communicates to every individual fan, whether you're watching on the camera at home or whether you're in those front rows. Well, you would be probably right normally, and that'd be a great point, but Cena is actually, I don't pick up on this taking on Bray Wyatt night in a Firefly Funhouse match. Yeah, but I don't know where that's going to be or what that's going to be. Oh, okay, okay. I'm thinking it's just going to be similar to last night. We're going to get another cinematic type presentation here. Oh, yeah, it definitely could be. I, I just, I didn't want to you're assume right. one way or the other. You're right, this could be like a no hold bar situation. I, I, know, I do think with Edge Orton being a last man standing match, let's also say this, I feel like they stacked tonight a little more, right? I mean, Ripley, Charlotte, Drew Brock, last man standing with Edge Orton, and the Firefly Funhouse match, this is probably the bigger of the two nights. Were you a little surprised to see how far down the card Shayna Baszler and Becky Lynch were? You know what, it's hard to say because this being a taped mania, and they produced it, they had the opportunity to look at what matches did what and how they succeeded. So, you know, they this is not like a normal mania. Well, that's so, where I'm going with this is yeah. did they just lose faith in what that match would bring across 
and the star power maybe of Shayna Baszler, and are they starting to lose faith in the star power of Becky Lynch? Uh, I don't know if it's Becky. Uh, I did hear a rumor a while back that Vince didn't see much in Baszler, which, you know, say what you will, I mean, yes, the women are better now and are more athletic, but Vince still has a type. Like, we're, we're su- I'm surprised Becky is still on top. Like, Vince loves his, you know, bodacious-looking blondes. Uh, you know, like he's got a thing, you know? Yeah, he definitely does, and that's one of the reasons why I just wanted to point that out, because I thought it was interesting where the placement was there. Because let's because the Kabuki, Kabuki Warriors and Alexa Bliss and Cross, you would think that would be bad being what used to be called the um, curtain jerker, but at WrestleMania, they historically have a great match first. They put on a big match to start the show. So that actually shows me that they had faith in these four women to actually put on a hell of a show. Right, no, they do. And um, again, getting back to that talking point, too, uh, they did an excellent job of communicating, and especially the Warriors, especially Asuka. This is something Asuka's been doing now for the last month or so, and has really got her character over, despite not speaking English. This has never happened in WWE, to the best of my knowledge. I don't remember somebody without a manager just talking in their normal native you know, language and getting over. They're putting her on commentary. Oh, Asuka's doing great with it, but Alexa Bliss and Cross are coming across a little racist when they make fun of it. I could see that. I could see that. Because <laughs> they're literally talking like gibberish back to her, like her native language is just gibberish. And they're doing the dance thing. I don't think that's the intention there, but yeah. No, no, no. I think that they're just mocking and having fun. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. But I just think it's ironic with Vince's track record that all of a sudden (laughs) the comeback is, well, we'll just mock her by speaking gibberish. Right, right. The Kabuki Warriors is a bit of a stereotype itself. Oh, yes. Uh, Going back to those old Japanese pirates. Now, let's talk about the worst match of the night. I think we can agree on what match this is. I think we can agree that it was Baron Corbin and Elias. It, it's, you know what? When, when Elias went out there and stormed him, I would have been happy if that was... Take notes from Braun and Goldberg. Keep that about two minutes. Either Elias could have just put the beat down and hit him, or he could have got caught with something and got hit. But exactly. That, Either hit him with... Yeah, because he could have gotten the upper hand on him right away, hit him with the guitar, threw him into the ring. He comes charging at him. Baron Corbin hits him with his finisher, and we call it a night. That would have been a good match. Sure. What we Uh, saw was not. No, no. It was a little match of the night. Hey, overall, this is probably the best spaced out time pay-per-view I've seen in a while. It didn't go too long. Yeah, it's almost like they had three weeks to do it. Right, right, right. I have to say... uh, I almost found myself not wanting to see Goldberg lose the belt last night <clears throat> just because I wanted to see him lose it later in front of a crowd and have it mean more. But given the circumstances, I see why they did what they had to do. My reason for not having Goldberg lose it was because I don't think, to me, it's not almost not fair to Braun. Because people are looking at going to look at Braun as an afterthought and they're going to actually look at it as, well, this is just because Roman wasn't available. Whereas, I heard people. I heard people say that they don't think Drew should win it tonight. I've heard the argument just because Drew deserves to win it in front of fans. And he does, but when are fans going to be available? July. Right. We don't know. We don't know what we're facing for sure here, folks. I mean, yeah. By by that logic, we can't have a storyline going forward for like six months. 
Right. Yeah, so I don't blame him. You know, I wrote in my notes here, I just started watching the Drew McIntyre uh, 24 special, which is unlike any 24 I've seen so far because it addressed the COVID-19 situation, and he's actually Skyping with the producer in parts of this. It's really well done, and I just can't help but think when I see Ginger Mahal show up at one, I think, man, if we can get the world title on Drew tonight, and then maybe Heath Slater, 3FB has got a whole new meaning to me. <laughs> well, well, here's an interesting thing. You've got WWE has got three of those coming out over the next couple days that look absolutely amazing. Between the Drew McIntyre one that just came out, between the Undertaker one, and between the Edge one, WWE putting out some good stuff on the network this week. Yeah, they're really awesome stuff. Edge is actually out right now. I actually, uh, and uh, the Undertaker one tomorrow, uh, right? I might be the right. It's going to be a series. It's now like a regular twenty-four. They're going to be doing like this, almost like they have a few episodes taped. I believe I, I could be wrong, but I think there's a few episodes taped, and it's going to be like basically talking about his comeback, getting in shape, and stuff. Well, remember, this is unprecedented because we have never had any inside information on The Undertaker at all. This is the most guarded character over the last 30 years or maybe ever in wrestling where we have had no look into what makes up the man. And now all of a sudden, we're gonna get this documentary style series where we're gonna get to know The Undertaker, Mark Calloway, whatever you wanna call him, and it's gonna give fans something that I think they've been craving for a very long time. I think if you do this right, You'd have this new character, you saw the interviews, play it right, have the last night. This would be very cool almost for him if he wants to go out next year and maybe get the Hall of Fame. Because, yeah, uh, and his, let's face it, the, the way that they played it across is that he's going for his last ride. So maybe the next year is going to be the last ride of his career. And they did a tremendous job last night of going, oh, I'm an old man, huh? And really, really bringing out who The Undertaker was and who, <laughs> who he is as a man. Yeah, I can't say enough good things. Like, there was something a moment the way that's set up. Like, I was like, okay, this is going to be special. I, I really enjoyed the way they did it. And, yeah, you can't do it all the time, but uh, given the circumstances. Could they have picked anybody better than, o than AJ? No, AJ and Taker both were, like, perfect for that role. They, they did absolutely awesome. AJ was a great shit heel. Even Gallows and Anderson with the brief parts they had in it. Excellent. This might be something in the future, because let's face it, AJ's not young either. AJ's one year younger than we are. And this might be something that down the road, people might look at for AJ, and this might be movie roles for him. Yeah, you never know. I mean, overall, really good. I have to say, too, something people aren't thinking about that I'm hearing a lot about, but even though there's no crowd, like, man, these have got to be special moments for a guy like Braun Strowman. And, you know, maybe not so much Bliss. I'm sure it is, but Nikki Cross. I mean, you know. Nikki Cross is the first championship in WWE, and Braun, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, wins the world title. You know, it's got to be big moments for these guys. I, I am happy for Nikki Cross that she was wearing a bra last night as she had a wardrobe malfunction. And... I saw that, yeah, Nikki, uh... <laughs> but but I, I'm actually somewhat glad that that happened, and I'm going to tell you why. Not from a pervert kind of way, but yeah, from, but from uh, now we know what kind of shape Nikki Cross is in. She's been wearing that outfit for so long, I think some people might go, oh, she's trying to cover something up. You can see she is not heavy. She is not out of shape. She just I goes. Friends. I have some friends who get very suspicious whenever any wrestlers wear a t-shirt or anything like that. So hey, I know I, what you're talking about. Hey, what was the first thing I noticed yesterday? I told you it was the t-shirt match 
when all of a sudden Baron Corbin's wearing a t-shirt, Elias is wearing a t-shirt. Yeah. I'm like, why are these guys both wearing freaking t-shirts? <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, you definitely, you notice that stuff. And hey, who knows, maybe, you know, gyms aren't open right now, people. <laughs> you know? so, That's all I'm saying. People are getting a little soft around the middle, a little, little, too, little too, maybe they're going for donuts with Mandy and freaking Daria. I, I don't think, uh, you know what? That fucking Daria, that fucking, that Otis Drew might have the most heat of any fucking match on the whole card. Oh, like, you mean Otis and, um... Uh, oh, uh, Dolph. So. Dolph, yeah. That, I'll tell you what, if there was a crowd, that might be the hottest match of the night. They love fucking Otis, man. Everybody loves Otis. And Mandy Rose is set up for, like, either the biggest baby face or heel pop, depending on what she does. But, you know, the crowd would go rough either way, you know? Uh, people love Otis. They do. They want to see him get the girl. Little inside baseball, um, Dave lives out in the middle of Hicksville, and, so do, and technically so do I, where I live. Where I live, there's one case of um, COVID-19. COVID Where I work, however, is the epicenter yeah. of um, the disease. So I do not want to share that with producer Joe or with Dave. So I will be FaceTiming and we'll be getting these episodes to you guys the same way we're doing it right now until everything is all clear. Because the last thing we want to do is get the good brothers sick. That's right. Thank you for taking this journey with us. I'm Jay Geronimi. I just launched a new YouTube channel called Wrong Plays, where I recently took all the McDonaldland characters, put them in the GameCube game, WWE Day of Reckoning, and wrote some theme songs for them. I also make music as All Hallows Evil, allhallowsevil.bandcamp.com. The new EP is The Grifted Age. It's very good. It's pay what you want. I know no one has any money right now. You can also listen to it on just about every streaming service, so I'd love it if you listen to it. Uh, once again, I'm Jay, signing off. Thank you. So I wanted to review WrestleMania, but in thinking about it, I'm not really qualified to review WrestleMania because this is the first WrestleMania that I've watched live in probably 20 years. So while I'm not qualified to give you an opinion of the actual matches, what I can tell you is that the sound field was really weird. Like, I felt like I had to keep turning it down because the rest of the family would be like, what the hell are you watching in there? So not to offer any criticisms without bringing some solutions, I thought I'd walk through just a couple of things that they might try for when we're all locked down next year. Uh, so here, here's a clip just as it aired from the Rhea Ripley-Charlotte Flair match. about the history of Rhea Ripley. The moment that she actually started training here at the Performance Center, she, she struggled with mental toughness. She struggled with her self-esteem. And as you can hear, it's dry. There's no crowd. There's no ambiance to it. It's almost like a wrestling match that just took place in a living room someone just moved into. It just doesn't feel right. So I thought maybe if I add a little reverb to it, that might fill up the sound field a little bit, so let's take a listen to that. Think about the history of Rhea Ripley, the moment that she actually started training here at the Performance Center, she, she struggled with mental toughness, she struggled with her self-esteem. And now I'll jump back and forth between them quick so you can really hear the difference. 
Yeah. Think about the history of Rhea Ripley. The moment that she actually started training here at the Performance Center, she, she struggled with mental toughness. She struggled with her self-esteem. It's not bad, but it's that crowd noise. You do need crowd noise. So what happens if we just fly some in? Like, let's say from WrestleMania 3, which I think most people agree is uh, one of the top WrestleManias. the history of Rhea Ripley, the moment that she actually started training here at the Performance Center, she, she struggled with mental toughness, she struggled with her self-esteem. And it just doesn't sound right. There's something about the pace that changes when the crowd isn't there. I think there's, they still seem to be performing for a crowd at home, but the live audience just changes things. So I honestly don't think there's much you can do there. But let's talk about another thing I saw people brought up a lot was the Edge and Randy Orton match. The commentary just wasn't alive. And to be honest, it lost my attention a couple of times because if you turn away from it, there's nothing to bring you back to it. It's two guys grunting and a couple guys whispering over it. So what can we do to, to spice that up other than replacing the commentary? Well, we could add a couple pops. How much more can these two take to pulverize each other? All right, that's a dumb joke I thought of at like four in the morning. That's not going to work. But uh, if we're going to get weird, we might as well go all the way. And let me give you my preferred solution to this problem. Let's add a little excitement to the commentary by uh, pitching it up about half an octave. We're finding out how deep the pain threshold is for Orton and Edge. And how hard Edge is willing to fight to get his dream back, to get his career back, to fight for his family. If this is what Randy Orton meant by love. Alright, screw it. Let's just throw it all on there. If this is what Randy Orton meant by love. So, not to put too fine a point on it, but I suppose this is my meta review of WrestleMania in that uh, I did the best with what I had at hand. It got weird as hell at the end, and I'm not sure if any of it worked, but it was a good way to kill a few hours. Well, I'm Jay Geronimi. I just launched a new YouTube channel called Wrong Plays, where I recently took all the McDonald Land characters, put them in the GameCube game, WWE Day of Reckoning, and wrote some theme songs for them. I also make music as All Hallows Evil, allhallowsevil.bandcamp.com. The new EP is The Grifted Age. It's very good. It's pay what you want. I know no one has any money right now. You can also listen to it on just about every streaming service. So I'd love it if you listen to it. Uh, once again, I'm Jay signing off. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's day two of WrestleMania recap. We're going to go over everything that happened on day two in comparison to day one. We're going to tell you what we like, what we didn't like. Maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't. Let us know on Twitter and we'll give you some feedback. Guys, my co-host as always, Dynamite Dave Smith. Tell him hi. Yo, yo, yo. I'm ready to go, man. WrestleMania night two. I'm just going to kick this off. I thought match of the night for me was Charlotte Flair 
Absolutely, and that was the first thing I was going to touch base. Those of you who listened to day one know that I was very critical about the time that they gave to Shayna Baszler and Becky Lynch, and I was critical as to what placement they gave them. Now, we talked about yesterday, or if you're listening to this earlier in part one, we talked about the fact that Vince definitely has a type, that he obviously favors the blondes with a nice bosom, and the fact of the matter is... He gave these two all the time in the world to tell a story and to have a hell of a match compared to Shayna and Becky in day one, who had almost no time and the match lagged. One thing I'm going to say we talked about too in part one, and these girls did really good, was they definitely verbalized very well the story. There was a lot of screaming. Maybe a bit much at points, but at the end of the day, it got the point across. And with no fans, I think that's what you need. And they did a really good job. Like, so now, do you think do you think that Shayna's character has actually hurt her in this situation? Because Shayna's known for having that silent, deadly character, almost similar to a Chris Benoit, where she doesn't talk quite as much. Do you think some of that has hurt her with no crowd and having to verbalize more? I'll say this: it's a combination of things because it goes that doesn't help, but then it also plays on how you book. Look at Alistair Black, not necessarily last night, but before that, doesn't talk a lot, but they're doing squash matches with him. He's killing people. It's well, impressive. Well, even last night, Alistair Black's match did what Alistair Black has done in all of his other matches. you got to remember, what he's done in those squash matches is, is basically that kick knocking people out. He took a yeah. beating yesterday from Lashley, but once again, once he got that kick in, lights out. He got that kick over, and to me... This match didn't really have any story or anything, but what it does reek up to me is that somebody does like Black. Whether that's Paul Heyman or whoever, somebody made it a point to put Alistair Black on this card and made sure he got the W. One of the other things I'd like to talk about with that match is, is are they starting to write Lana and Rusev into a shoot? If Rusev doesn't re-sign, what are the chances not only does he lose his WWE career, but how long is it before his wife ends up actually with Bobby Lashley? <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. I mean, there's a lot of what ifs in that situation, buddy. <laughs> uh, the other thing about that match is, and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't, I think that this area, once again, we talked about Shayna Baszler, it shows how little charisma Bobby Lashley has. He is a tremendous athlete, has every skill in the ring, but he has the charisma of a tube of toothpaste. Yeah, he needs, a, he needs somebody else with him. Uh, I, I think he can carry his own with the right segment and the right vehicle, but this is not the right vehicle for him. No, Lana, Lana's a heat-getter, but she's not a heat-getter who's going to make you want to cheer for Bobby Lashley. No, no, no. Bobby needs to be with some guys who can talk, like a Paul Heyman or a uh, MVP like he had at TNA. Yeah. You can kind of put him over. Right, yeah. Exactly. I think the pairing with MVP would be fantastic, or somebody like you said, Paul Heyman, who has done the same job with Brock Lesnar. The difference is Brock Lesnar, even though he doesn't say a lot, has a certain amount of charisma to him. Right, I'm going to skip here a little bit. I want to jump to the match with Bailey. For my money, it went a little too long. It was late in the night for me. Bailey got the win. They put Tamina over really strong, which I thought was kind of funny since we never see Tamina. Bailey won. What I find interesting to me here, though, is Becky has had the belt for over a year now, and Bailey won her belt actually last year at Mania, uh, made money in the bank after Mania. So, kind of quietly, these women have uh, had really long title rings. 
They have. And the problem right now with Bailey is I like her new character, but there's nobody really stepping up who's engaging. There's nobody, the, the most personality that we've actually seen is from the person on her side. Right, right. Nothing is making me want to cheer for anybody. I don't really feel connected to Lacey Evans. I don't feel connected to, uh, what's her name there, Carmella. I don't feel connected to Tamina. I don't feel connected to any of the women. That, I know Carmella was not in the match last night. I'm talking about the, yeah, in general. Dude, did you remember, I mean, I remember what Cole said, but I had no idea what was going on. He said, oh yeah, reunion of Team Bad. <laughs> yes, with the, when they remember the three of them together were together for like two months. Right, right. <laughs> Several years ago for two months. Yeah, thank, uh, thank you for digging that one up, Michael Cole. Uh, I mean, I'm glad he did because I fucking want to know what the hell was going on. I do like the fact that Tamina's looking more like Nia Jax every week. <laughs> Who's disappeared. Now, okay, one match that had a ton of steam going into it, and I said that these guys would get it right, was a big flop for me. Last man standing match, nothing against Edge or Orton. I just didn't like the way the match was laid out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was too long of a match, and it would have been unique had every other match been kind of like quiet, but since every other match basically has no fans or anything either, it's not really unique. And the announcers, who I do like, were trying to put over the seriousness of it. And because everything was so quiet and they were trying to talk quiet to make it serious, to me it just sounded like they were talking over a golf tournament. All right, so I'm going to go with the positives first on this match. Okay. The I first off, by the way, check out Edge's uh, return on WWE Network 24. Fucking awesome. One of the best ones they ever did. I'm not losing faith in either one of these guys. I just thought the match was a miss. But go ahead. No, see, now I thought the ending was great. The ending was fun. The ending, uh, the ending to me was great. In the beginning, how Orton came out of the camera position to hit the RKO to start, I thought was a good start to it. So, okay, okay, the beginning and the end. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> so, 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 so here's where I'm going to agree with you. Everything in between sucked. Right. And there was something that I've heard people point out. I kind of thought about it. I didn't give people that much a hard time, but I guess I could see where some people got upset. They literally... Did the spot in the gym where, um, was it Edge that wrapped around the cables around? Yes. The, which was like basically how Benoit killed himself, like about a week after the documentary aired. Yeah, no, I, no I noticed that also. Um, and usually it's not even like really beyond that. I mean, Brian Danielson got fired several years ago for that, so it's kind of funny how. Now, in fairness, in yeah. fairness, because the Benoit documentary was not done. With anybody's approval from the WWE, they I can't believe someone didn't see it. It could have also, I don't know. It's hard to believe. I can't believe they did that either. Um, yeah, I'm surprised nobody caught it. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's the thing. Right? Especially, it's not like it was a live match where they called it on the fly. It, it was yeah. ta- it was taped ahead of time. Right, but you know what, Jim Cornette, NWA. I mean, people uh, people are missing things in editing. Well, here's the thing. You could tell part of it was edited, too, because at one point in the middle of the match, they drastically cut from one place to another place where you could tell they clearly did not go from there to there. So there was a big cut in the middle in the editing where you could tell that there were, that they didn't flow together. Which is amazing because the match went 36 minutes. Like, I don't understand. Like, yeah. And, and, and it wasn't the worst match on the night. 
Oh, well, it might have been the worst match of last night. It wasn't the worst match of WrestleMania. That's still Elias and Baron Corbin. But, <laughs> but, but the match was just too long for what it was. Whereas... It's just the way it was structured was a miss. Uh, how, how much time did Charlotte and Rhea Ripley have? Because they went a long time. They went about 20. And that was fine for them. And I think... No, they did great. Because it didn't yeah. feel like 20 minutes. And that's one of the reasons why I had to ask you is they did such a tremendous job to get back to them that it didn't feel like it was 20 minutes. Also, speaking of the women, one more thing. Bianca Belair came up last night. To help her husband, yeah. To help her husband, yeah. Could be uh, could be her call-up. We might be seeing Belair in the lost roster, which is funny because I think Belair blah, would go better on SmackDown against Bailey because like you just said, well, here's the other funny thing about this. You have the War Raiders who have been on TV with Sarah, who is, literally looks like she belongs with them, who has yeah. not been put with her husband, and Bianca Belair is going to be called up and put right with her husband. Yeah, that's a little weird. I like the idea, too, but we're going all over the place, too. But I wanted to say this, too. I, I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I did like the idea of uh, Charlotte winning last night, too. Because I like her being on NXT, and I think it's going to give that brand credibility. Now, wait a minute, because this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Okay. Is NXT now the women's division, are they not the gold standard of the WWE? I think so. I mean, because I think Ripley's done such a good job of stepping up. The way everything else went over WrestleMania weekend, they had the most time given to them. Mm -hmm. They had the best match, other than the tag. Um, and to me, the second place match was actually the tag match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now, I, I want to get a couple notes out of the way. I'm going to save the Funhouse for last, because I feel like that's oh, I want to give a shout out to Drew for winning the title. It was a short match, not very memorable. The guy deserved more, but at the end of the day, he's going to be the guy to strap the belt on. Well, and on. I'm going to give you. A, um, let's talk to the fans for a moment, and we'll we'll be honest with them. I watched all of WrestleMania. Did not fall asleep during any of it. Watched every single minute until the very end in a four minute match that could not actually keep me awake. Right, but I mean, it was four in the morning. You might have been <laughs> there. And granted, I had worked 11 hours before that, but... Right, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, so I mean, actually, one funny side note, I just heard a story today that apparently Brock showed up, and one of the reasons why I might have been short, too, was because Brock apparently did not want to be there. He was a little upset. Apparently, his match went on early, and they edited it to go on last, obviously, but... Brock was very upset. Well, Brock Brock likes to be quarantined without any illnesses. Right. So I can imagine. So you can imagine how much he wanted to be there with everything that's going on. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, especially uh, remember, he's got kids at home. He's got he's got old lady Sable. He's got to take care of. Hundred percent, baby. Hundred percent. One other thing too, I want to make note of. Probably would have been a lot better with a crowd, but boy, he's still over in my book, Otis. With a big win. Oh, are you kidding me? Over like crazy. Uh, love me some other. All right. Well, let's get to this Firefly. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I like I like the pairing on a heel side note of Dolph with um, Daria. Sonya Deville. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> it, wasn't her name on um, Tough Enough Daria? I think that might be her shoot name. Yeah, sorry. With Sonya Deville. 
It's, it's hard to keep track of somebody's name who they don't use at all other than as side candy <laughs> for uh, Mandy, uh, Mandy Rose. I, I, I like, uh, I was saying last night, Mandy Rose was either going to be the biggest baby face or biggest heel because Otis is so sympathetic. But, but, but Sonya Deville did a good job on that heel aspect of helping Dolph Ziggler last night. Yeah, also JBL with the uh, line of the night for me. Uh, Somebody called PETA? Otis remind you of, Ivan Putsky, if he ate Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, that was a great line. <laughs> All right, let's get into the funhouse. All right, let's get into the funhouse, because to me, I got to tell you, I first watched this thing, and I was like, I was entertained, but I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> okay? So, I uh, I enjoyed it. It, is, uh, it was very, it's almost funny, because if you thought the first night was polarizing with the Boneyard match, it was like WWE said, hold my beer, <laughs> we're going to make something even more polarizing. Well, we're about to find out how polarizing it is, because you loved it, and I fucking hated it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Let's just give you some stuff I heard today, and then we'll go to you, because how polarizing this was. Uh, now, to be fair, I was listening to a post-wrestling show today. They took a poll of 3,000 people. 80% loved it. But the people who hated it, hated it, too. And then I was listening to Jason Agnews, who we had on as a guest before. This Sunday Night Big Event show. He loved it. His co-host hated it. Everybody who was calling was split on it. Brian Alvarez from Wrestling Observer hated it, and I want to bring him up in particular because I think him and you are going to be on the same page here, but you can correct me. The reason why he liked The Undertaker, AJ Styles match, was he said that there was only two spots where I had to suspend disbelief. The pyro and when Undertaker came up behind him on a track. Now, it's not likely, but I can believe, hey, Undertaker had a friend, he knew the Boneyard area, and somebody hooked up some pyro at this time when I raised my hands. Hey, I snuck out of the grave, got behind him. Not likely, but it's possible. Where is it fucking possible that John Cena, <laughs> against his will, came out and just stuck at Nami Crows and all this shit? I, I, so anyway, that's what his take was. I got more to add, but I'm going to go to you first. Please continue. <laughs> all right, so here's why I hate it. And I don't just hate it. I absolutely, positively hate it. <laughs> the big art form to professional wrestling, like he was talking about with uh, disbelief, the biggest art form and the thing about wrestling was, and old-time wrestlers will tell you this all the time, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to have a match, and you might doubt the other matches on this card, but you're not going to doubt my match. You're going to believe that I was in a fight. Right. <laughs> I believe absolutely nothing about what happened in that funhouse. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a match. It is the yeah. stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Have you been a fan of the funhouse or anything before this? But the funhouse. The funhouse? No, I think it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Okay, so you're not really a fan. Like, you like the older Bray Wyatt gimmick, fair? I do. I like the one that looks more like, ah, uh, Christ, uh, Dan Spivey's old character, Waylon Mercy. Yes, yes. So this is where I heard some people liked and they created a lot of like buzz. There was like a lot of stuff left to interpretation. It was done almost like the Lucha Underground, kind of sci-fi comic book style. And uh, there's a point here where basically, you know, John Cena is going through his career where, uh, but Bray Wyatt's telling it, right? So you have the first time he's ever in there with Kurt Angle, the Rufus Aggression spot. 
and Bray Wyatt's playing the part of Kurt Angle, and you really got to see it. I can't even describe this shit to you. But there's an interesting part there where basically uh, at one point, when they go back to the original WrestleMania match Bray and Cena had, yeah. Bray talks about making the right wrong decision, right? And then you notice they go to the NWO, John Cena's NWO. And a lot of like, what the fuck was that? But no, no, no. See, I get that. The right. comparison is he's saying now that John Cena has become the Hulk Hogan who is actually stealing the spotlight in the NWO. That was one of the theories. There was actually a couple of theories. Another one was that had Cena done the right thing, he would have became the heel, much like Hogan, but he chose not to. Yeah, and I could see that too, but right. to me it's more of John Cena's, because he calls John Cena a couple times and they're a hypocrite and talks about how he's a bully how he yeah. comes in and actually just mocks people and makes fun of them and talks about their shortcomings. And and, and they played the part over and over again where he's calling Bray Wyatt the most overrated, overhyped person, but they were reversing it at that point. And, and that's why I take it that he's saying that John Cena has become the Hulk Hogan who's holding people down. I agree with you 100%. And I think that was one thing good about this. It created a lot of talking points, a lot of buzz. It was something different. You can't do this all the time. Let me, I, let me be perfectly clear about what I'm saying. I hated it. Yeah. But a wrestling card should have something that I hate on it. Right. And let's, right, the buffet, I get that. Okay. Um, but I think we both could agree with this. It was fucking original and creative. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and like I've said before, you should have something that I hate on there because I'm a wrestling purist. So if you only have a card that I enjoy, if I enjoy every match that's on that card, you're going to alienate 80% of your audience. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> he marches to his own beat. He's yeah. not just the purest, folks. <laughs> I just, no, I want to be, basically, I want to be as clear on that as possible. Never yeah. once am I saying that the WWE should have a card that should be everything that I like on it because they will go out of business. <laughs> Absolutely. That being said, I, one thing I did pop for, thought it might have got you to, was when the puppet of Vince McMahon actually said, such good shit. <laughs> I actually, out of all of the Funhouse stuff that I don't like, yeah. the puppet of Vince McMahon is my favorite thing by far. I believe that. <laughs> that. That and Workout Piggy are my two favorite things. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I hate the squirrel. The squirrel rabbit? Yeah, every time they kill that rabbit, I'm happy. <laughs> All right, so... Guys, I don't want you to worry. That's not coronavirus. Dave has really bad asthma, so if I pop him, you'll hear that wheezing. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I think that's going to about do it. Well, wait a minute. Before you wrap this up, which was yeah. better for you, night one or night two? Night one. Night one uh, was paced better overall. And out of the two of the, uh, we'll call them cinematic presentations, yeah. um, I was a bigger fan of the Taker style one. Yeah, and we don't always agree on stuff. People might not realize that. But I think the one thing we can agree on, or the two things we can agree on, night one better overall, but match of the weekend and match of WrestleMania again, just like last year, Charlotte Flair has come in and stole the show. Yeah, actually, Conrad Thompson, which reminds me, I almost forgot something, but speaking of Conrad, but Conrad had said, Charlotte Flair, best match of the night, you can send your hate tweets at, because obviously that's his sister-in-law. But um, Yeah, but anybody who disagrees with that probably enjoyed the funhouse. 
Well, you know what, though? Uh, Eric Bischoff also had a great thing on Instagram where he said, wow, he said, that was strange. I got fired in uh, October and I'm main eventing Mania in April. <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed that, too, the fact that... Uh, I love the fact that Bray Wyatt was basically playing Eric Bischoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was some interesting stuff with that Funhouse. I would say, uh, as far as the Funhouse thing goes, too, I'm going to watch it again because it was different. But, uh, yeah. No, and I can tell you, as a as a fan myself, I am not going to watch it again. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will watch parts of Mania over, though. I will probably watch Charlotte and Rhea again. I definitely will watch AJ and Taker again. I, I want to say, too, I'm, I was getting ready to wrap this up, but one other thing I want to say, too, is AEW, they managed to get into Georgia. They taped a bunch of stuff in Florida. When they got to Georgia, I guess they taped a bunch of stuff, and now they're all home indefinitely, but they have about a month's worth of taping. They also taped a bunch of um, being the elite from the compound. Right, right. Now, WWE has only recorded stuff up to this Wednesday. They are searching for a place to record a bunch of shit for Friday. Rumor is they're still going to fucking record in Florida anyway, which I find amazing. <laughs> I think basically they're going to break the law, possibly. But I don't know. I can't say that. That's just speculation. I mean, unless, the, unless they come in with a warrant to actually seize the performance center, how are they going to prove it? Right, right. I mean, really, reality is right. And that's the thing, too, about wrestling. Wrestling falls under the radar. People aren't paying attention to these guys. So they can kind of get away with stuff if they want to. Well, hopefully for them, they get to pull something off because it sounds to me like Vince wasn't thinking now, this thing was going to be going for this long. Tonight is typically the biggest Raw of the year. Yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> because how are you going to debut a bunch of people? Usually you debut a bunch of people or have a bunch of storylines. I typically look forward to the Raw after WrestleMania almost as much as I look forward to WrestleMania itself. So, right. so I'm intrigued to see how it works tonight. Right, but we're going in this like with a moderate expectation, I would say. We both agree. We're not expecting. I am expecting less than I expected in the Funhouse. Right, right, right. So, the bar's set low. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Amen. All right, Dave, stay safe. Joe, I know you're going to be tuning into this. You stay safe, Producer Joe. All the fans out there, please stay safe. Dave, wrap us up and tell them where they can go. All right, you can go straight to hell. Have a good day. Bye. This is the patron saint of professional wrestling, Brandon Thurston, and you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Working Fans Podcast. We are here today with a multi-talented individual in the world of wrestling. Not only does he wrestle, he hosts Wrestlenomics Radio on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. He trains at Grapplers Anonymous. He is the patron saint of professional wrestling, Brandon Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? What's up? I'm impressed. I, I, sometimes I get invited on podcasts and I'm not I'm like, do they know me as the wrestler? Do they know me as the Wrestlenomics thing? You know all of it. <laughs> I actually became a fan of yours through WrestleNomics before I even saw you wrestle. And the first time you kind of popped up on our radar, for wrestling at least, was when you did the Uncharted Territory series for Beyond. Yeah. And that feud you've had with Jay Freddy was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. 2019 was a pretty interesting year. Just, I think, I've been wrestling for a long time, for many, many years, but it, I think Beyond Wrestling is sort of a super indie buzz promotion, and fortunately they, had, they brought me in in 2019 and had me do Uncharted Territory and stuff, and I think that was the first time that a lot of people who knew me for other reasons saw me wrestle, so that was very cool. 
just to kind of start at the beginning, what first hooked you about wrestling, and when did you first become a fan? I've been aware of wrestling for as long as I can remember. I can't remember a time when I didn't know what wrestling was. I had, like, vague memories. I think of sitting on the couch and watching wrestling with my dad, maybe Hulk Hogan, maybe Randy Savage. My first really prominent memory of wrestling is SummerSlam 91, of, like, watching a wrestling event. SummerSlam 91 I, I, I think I have some memories of WrestleMania 7 before that but definitely SummerSlam 91 and I'm, I think I might have even been a uh, WF Magazine subscriber before that mm. wow yeah, yeah the, the Bret Hart and uh, Mr. Perfect Match was reenacted many times on the uh, living room floor with action figures Nice. Man, that's actually one of the matches that made me a big Bret Hart mark because yeah. he was like the Hart Foundation guy and I liked him, but then when I was like, whoa, like, you mean these wrestlers can eventually go on and be have good singles runs too? You know, like in my mind, I'm just like so excited yeah. to see that. Yeah. Actually, that was when I transferred from Hogan to Bret. It's cool to hear that you were big in that time period. Yeah, I, I, I like to think that I was a, a, a work great smart from, from a very early age. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, was, I was a big fan of Hogan too as a kid, but. Yeah, I mean, like, my coming of age and coming of being a wrestling fan was really in, in Brett's rise more than I was in Hogan's. Like I said, I was a little bit too, too young for, you know, the glory days of Hogan. See, it's funny because with me, Hogan, I was old enough to, like, get behind Hogan, mm -hmm. but I started to almost wane on Hogan. Like, I was just at that point, I was just getting disinterested. Like, I had seen the matches, and I kind of started to figure out what was going on a little bit. But Brett had this unique style, and it started getting me like, oh, wait, you know, I, I kind of like the matches Brett and Perfect and these guys are putting on. And that kept me as a wrestling fan. Yeah, probably Have you ever fallen out with wrestling? Has there ever been a time where you didn't follow it? Or you were just like, ah, I've had enough of it for right now? I think um, during the mid-90s, I think my, I wasn't as much of a fan. Maybe 95, 96, 97 there. I wasn't as much of a fan. I think I was always still kind of staying in touch with wrestling, though. And then, well, I guess like 10 years later, after, so I was in, in independent wrestling for a while. I was a wrestler kind of, you know, locally. And then, you know, 2007, I remember, like, we went on, like, a, a camping trip with a bunch of wrestlers. And, you know, we, we hung out or whatever. And then later, we got, it was Sunday, and we are going to go watch the pay-per-view. And we watched the pay-per-view. And CM Punk was supposed to wrestle Chris Benoit. And I remember, like, you know, sort of vaguely kind of half hung over hearing that, like, Benoit's not there. Like, the, yeah, he's got a family emergency or something. And, of course, you find out the next day that, that Benoit and his family are dead. And you find the day, the day after that that, you know, he murdered his family and then killed himself. And, you know, so we were supposed to go to train that Tuesday. And we went to training and got out of the car. And one of the first things that uh, my friend and I, who's also a wrestler, encountered was a couple of other wrestlers uh, offering my friend steroids. Huh. <laughs> you know, the hookup hook on steroids. And, you know, so it was sort of a, a conversation on the, on the ride home of like, yeah, wrestling's never going to change. It's just, I mean, if, if it wasn't going to change after that, what is it ever going to change for? So that, that, that's just a really prominent memory to me. So I guess I got, I do think there were some other, other, you know, morale issues in the local indie wrestling environment at that time. So after that, I sort of became a little bit disenchanted with, with the with independent wrestling in my area. And I started to, I was going to college at the time, and I, I decided to sign up for the wrestling team. I had never done any wrestling in, in high school, but I signed up for the wrestling team, and they let me sign up. 
And I figured this would be like a, you know, maybe they would practice three days a week because that's what we were doing. We were running around the campus to get our cardio up three days a week. And then we started on the mats and I sort of offhandedly asked somebody, how many three days a week do we do this? And then he said five days a week. I was like, oh my God, really <laughs> myself into here but I, I did a full season of, of amateur wrestling with college level wrestlers who were all pretty good high school wrestlers I guess it really it was an invaluable experience as far as it, it really exploded my cardio and I feel like it gave me a background of amateur wrestling the technical wrestling that I always wanted but never actually had the experience to go with so it was a great time in our it was a very, very hard, hard thing to do. It was definitely worth it. And I ended up getting back into wrestling just after that wrestling season ended. Yeah. Two things, because you gave us a lot there, which is pretty good. Yeah. One, as far as your amateur wrestling, do you felt that gave you a lot of discipline to deal with things, you know, the commitment of five days a week, you know, and just in your life and career? And also, on a side note, like you brought up the Benoit stuff and wrestling changing. I just watched Dark Side this week with New Jack. And I, I was wondering, did you, have you been watching those? And what do you thought? I plan on watching the, the Benoit one for sure. I've heard the New Jack one is good as well. But yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch the, the Benoit one eventually. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard it's heavy. Yeah, it is. Amateur wrestling gave me a really strong capacity for cardio. Like, it made my cardio very good, and it made me sort of understand what it took to have good cardio. And I, I don't know, I think it, it helps me get in great shape and, you know, get used to putting in the work to be in great shape, you know? I saw you studied philosophy at the University of Buffalo. Did you take any business classes or have you always just been good with business and numbers? Wow, you know about my philosophy degree too, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, let's see, here's a great story too. So I never, well I guess I did take some business classes in like community college, uh, but not like memorably. I don't like, I don't feel like I, I sit here and like have a great deal of knowledge that I remember learning from those classes. I so like I went to a community college for a long, long time. Went through a couple different majors. I ended up getting like a one year accounting certificate or something. Like I don't like again, I don't feel like any of that really contributes to this WrestleNomics thing so much. But when I did go to UB, one of the requirements was I had to take like some statistics class, which I kinda dreaded. But then it would be a lot of math. So it's a, like social statistics, which seems to be the most appropriate thing to match with a philosophy degree, I guess. But, but that is where I learned what a correlation coefficient was, which I do, do, do use pretty often today when I go through spreadsheets and stuff. But so here's what happened. I took that class. I did pretty well in all my other philosophy classes. Luckily, in community college, I had taken so many classes that I only really had to take classes that were really directly related to my major by the time I got to UB. But this sort of statistics class, I didn't do that well in it in, you know, in the months of the semester, didn't do that well in the tests and stuff, but I'm probably gonna pass with a C or a D, I don't know, or I'm sorry, a C or a B or something like that. So final exam comes and, you know, I've got, I've got to do pretty well on, on the final exam probably to not have a bad grade here. So I break down what the, what the, the time is for the final exam. I show, then I go to the, to the campus for the test on the on final exam day, and the time that I've written is actually the time that the testing period ends. So I show, I figure I'm showing up there like 10 minutes early, it's gonna be all good. I show up and I've got 10 minutes left to take the test. And the professor just like told me to just like, just randomly fill in the scantron. So I don't know what I got, what my grade was on that, that, uh, that test, but I got a D in that class in social statistics, which is the most similar thing, I guess, to, to WrestleNomics that I ever really studied. 
I think I, I got into I wanted to do a philosophy major because let's see I, I was in the Air Force too just after the time that I did the uh, the, the amateur wrestling thing so I went to the Air Force I was in the Air Force Reserves for a six year contract so I went to basic training and I went to the tech school that you have to go to after that so I was so, so away from home for something like five months and then once you're in the military of course you can use a GI Bill and I decided you know what I got the GI Bill now I don't have to feel bad about like getting money out of the bank for, for going to school I'm just going to get get a degree in whatever thing I want to get and not, not be practical at all so I started I really took an interest in, in some philosophy classes I took and I decided to major in that as well. So, wrestling on is through the Worcester Wrestling Network. I discovered them in like 2014 or so, and you know, oftentimes they had some good writing on the site, and I ended up writing for them and stuff. And I did a lot of like the first things, the first writing things that I did, some of them anyway, were not very economics based at all. I did a thing on W language, all the all the the business speak words that they use and then I did I did a, a thing where I traveled to a, a few WWE shows and I wrote some I don't know what you would call them some uh, some creative nonfiction about that and those were you know within a, a certain certain uh, fan base those were well liked as time went on I, I got I was already really interested in the work with Chris Harrington of Mookie as well and, and as it turned out Mookie used to live in Rochester New York I live in Buffalo New York and Mookie had kind of been involved in, in the independent wrestling scene in Rochester before he moved to Minnesota. So we, it turned out we knew a lot of the same people, and now we had the, the common interest in wrestling economics. So we started to become, you know, closer friends, and we ended up doing the uh, WrestleMonics podcast together. And we did that for a couple of years before we got hired by AEW, and I learned a lot in that time. That was actually a dark day when you guys announced that the WrestleNomics podcast, <laughs> as it had been, was coming to an end because you guys... The, it's actually my next question, but there is so much information in like the average WrestleNomics episode that I love listening to it, but a lot of the times it feels like it goes over my head because you guys just know so much. How much prep time goes into an average episode? So I'm in the middle of recording one right now. So like when I was dealing with Mookie, we would have a, uh, a Google Doc, like a, a Google Word Doc that we would both have access to, and we would build up some notes as the week went on. Like we, we were doing a Patreon episode every week too for a while there, so we were doing a free episode and a Patreon episode every week. So we were doing a lot of stuff towards the end, but that you know that would be a fair amount of, of prep work. I mean, we would have like a I don't know maybe ten to fifteen page word, word doc. But like I said, I'm actually like in the middle of recording one right now, but there isn't at this point there isn't much prep work to it. I, what I have right now is just like a a very basic bullet point outline, and I just uh, sort of rattle off stuff hit pause on record a lot and then look something up and then record again, you know? Yeah, Brandon, we get a lot of people on here that are, um, you know, honestly, some are good talkers, some are very charismatic, some we gotta kind of get going with, but you're like one of the most well-spoken guys. Like, I'm almost amazed you don't have like a degree in communications or something here. You think so? I've always been like terrified of public speaking. In fact, like to do WrestleNomics was like a big, was like a big deal. I was like, I, I remember, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts and being like, maybe it would be cool if I did that someday. But like, oh my God, other than death, you've got, you know, public speaking is the greatest fear that there is, you know? But oh, yeah. It's always been something that's difficult for me, but like, I'm getting more used to doing 
the show alone. Like that was a really weird and weird thing to deal with. Like I don't know what kind of show I should do or how I'm how I'm gonna do a, a podcast by myself. But I'm getting more into the groove and getting more into like a pattern of what I what I'm gonna do. But I, I think it was getting to be this way a little bit before the coronavirus has everybody staying at home. But but staying at home, I have a little bit more time lately to do stuff you know getting into more of a group as well i remember with the wrestlenomics the patreon account you guys had you would also have i believe all the documents you worked off of up there oh that's right you would share the documents right and let me see where am i sorry i've i've been such a big wrestlenomics fan for so long that to get into these things with you it's kind of a big deal but um that's awesome how much do you think this corona outbreak right now will hurt the indie industry going forward? Because you hear about a lot of those shows around WrestleMania. The promoters are worried about even being able to keep their company open. Is that a real fear that they have to worry about, do you think? I think it depends on what the business is. You hear Mike from High Spots talk about how he's going to have to sell his house. Yeah. Uh, if, there was, if there was no WrestleMania weekend and now we know there's not I think it just it depends and it's, it's hard to tell from the outside what the financial situation is like maybe with Mike I think it's Pachicho is his last name from High Spots you know it, it sounds like he really needed WrestleMania weekend to make ends meet I think the, I heard somebody make the comparison you know so sort of make the analogy that for some of these indie promotions it's like how some retail stores are at Christmas time where they kind of run in the red for most of the year but they know Christmas is going to you know Christmas time is going to be such strong business for them it's going to make ends meet they're going to they're going to make a profit so taking that out of, of their, their business calendar you know is, is really catastrophic for them so I think that's that's the case for some somebody like you know Hotspots WrestleCon but I think the average independent type promotion around the country is just kind of running from show to show I think I think a lot of indies they don't you know really make a profit anyway and I think it's sort of like I think there are some independent companies that on the whole say take a full year as, as if they kept actually kept records but let's imagine that an average indie you know actually kept financial records I think a lot of them would just be running in the red and, and I think in some cases it's just like the promoter We'll, we'll take it on as an expense as like this is a hobby that he does he's got a real job you know Monday through Friday that he goes to they actually makes his living at and that, no it's not to say that there aren't probably quite a few independent wrestling promoters who do make money at it but I think a lot of them don't make much money at all and it's you know every show is just like you have to have money to front the show with just to get the, to rent the venue with in the, in the case of New York, where there's a lot of expenses that are put on promoters to run a show, you got to have money for other things as well, including insurance. I think the average indie will be okay, but, but some of them obviously are going to be hit hard. I think the you know what's a problem as well, obviously, is that there's some independent wrestling promoters who are fortunate enough to have wrestling to be their living. To, that that's their primary source of income is wrestling and selling their merchandise, and they're obviously being being hit hard right now because they they can't do any events. So there's that as well. From a business perspective, is it interesting to see how this virus has kind of affected how WWE's handling WrestleMania? Just the way they're going to see money roll in from this, it seems like it's going to change it. And the fact that WWE is almost trying to get their pay-per-views out other places, like it's on Fight TV now. Yeah, it's a weird thing that you're doing, right? You can watch WrestleMania Saturday and Sunday for $10. Mm-hmm. And- 
cancel you cancel your subscription on Monday if you want, or you can pay sixty dollars <laughs> right. on flights or the Fox's various streaming services or traditional cable or satellite. And that's always been the case on, on cable and satellite throughout the history of the W Network. They've always had every one of their pay per views on cable and satellite to buy. So you have, you know, wonder what's going on there. I think what's going on there is that W wanted to sell its pay per views off of the network to a major streaming player like Peacock or like ESPN Plus and Amazon was was talked about by one, one stock analyst maybe, maybe they were talking to Fox in some capacity too I don't think Fox really has a streaming service uh, comparable with something like ESPN Plus but maybe they were talking to Fox as well I can't imagine they expect to do much business I was, I was listening to Observer Live a couple of days ago and uh, they were sort of confounded by what they what what WB could possibly be expecting or that maybe you know, be, you know Fox is gonna be disappointed with the, the lack of buys that they're gonna be able to sell because the price is undercut multiple times by the W network price point. But I'm I'm guessing maybe like I, I think Fox must know that. Like they, they can't be blind to the fact that you can watch these events for ten dollars and not they have to know that. Yeah. They're that that unaware and that dumb. So I'm guessing that there's some other experimental reason for it. Maybe just to see if it if the number of buys that they can sell is within their expectations. Maybe to, to gather some other data so that they have an idea of like what it would be worth. Maybe someday later, if uh, if they want to buy the rights to all the pay-per-views, or, you know, year round. And I mean, if you think about it too, like even before all this happened. These major networks, one of the reasons why WWE and UFC were doing so well is because they were just desperate for content. We're in the age of content. And now, ain't nobody got no content. So maybe that's part of it too, right? It's just like, hey, give us something to fill in here. Yeah, that's definitely why you see ESPN get the rights to a few uh, WrestleMania replays. And we got Fox Sports is is airing something like 40 some odd hours of WWE library content. As you said, there's no there's no live sports out there for anybody to air, and there normally would be. You're also a trainer at Grapplers Anonymous. How did you get into training wrestlers, and how long have you been doing it? So, way, way back in Empire State Wrestling, is the local promotion that I've been most associated with in the Buffalo area. And so, way, way back, I kind of helped a wrestler named Will Calrissian train people. It's, it's kind of funny looking back on like our primitive days of kind of wrestling where we, uh, we, we barely knew what we were doing. And I, I feel like I've actually learned a lot through the years. But, uh, so I did a little bit of that sort of in the mid-2000s, being around training and maybe, maybe assisting with training a little bit. When we restarted, essentially we started ESW in 2009, I did a little bit of training there, well, a few sessions, I guess, that I was training for. And then... When Grappling Anonymous started in 2014, I, I had nothing to do with it starting. Um, it was started by a couple of guys who, who uh, run a local business, and they were they were involved in indie wrestling, and you know, they really wanted to get back to, uh, to wrestling. I guess the story is they went to a local show and saw wrestling that they were not satisfied with, and sort of asked the question, what do we have to do to make wrestling in the area better? You know, And, and the answer was, well, these guys have no place to train, so, you know, I think their business was going pretty well at the time, so they decided to, to lease out this warehouse space, which is now where Grapplers and Arnold's uh, is. So I started going Ever Parks, who's now the, the Blade and the Butcher and the Blade. He wanted to go over a match that we were going to have in, in a few weeks. So we, we went there to train, and that's the first time that I went there to train. And I just started to, uh, you know, sort of 
become more friendly with Mikey every night, who is really the person who's, you know, given a lot of responsibility there to manage the gym and stuff. I just started to go there more regularly, and I guess just sort of by, by default, I was pretty often the most experienced one there, and we had, uh, they had a lot of guys, and at first I think they didn't want to have students there, but, you know, eventually they got approached by a lot of people who wanted, you know, to see if they could be pro wrestlers, so they were taking some people on, you know, just sort of by default, I was helping those guys out, and it's just sort of, you know, snowballed from there into uh, becoming a more traditional wrestling school. Going back to your days when you were training, what would you say maybe was some of the best advice you ever got training, maybe you still use to this day, that helps you out, whether in wrestling or life? Well, I was trained by a guy named Hector, <laughs> who uh, wrestled as Sakura, who like, wrestled the Hayabusa mask. He trained us for a while, and then a tag team from Ontario called the All-Nighters trained us. And actually, Dust Phoenix came with them, and, I, and another wrestler named Kevin Grace came with them. So I, I trained with them for a while, and I got a lot. Of, I learned a lot of basics from them. A couple of years after that, though, I ended up going to Rochester once or twice a week for about a ten-month period, and I, I trained a lot with uh, Jimmy Olsen. If you guys know who that is, he wrestled in Chicago a lot with, with Colin. With Colin Olsen, who's now Colin Delaney, right? So I learned a lot from Brody Lee was there at the time because he's from uh, Rochester. He wasn't really a trainer, but he was there at training a lot. But I learned a lot from from Jimmy as far as like. I saw when, when, like, when he performed, I saw a lot of fire in him, and sort of directly, I think I, what I, I learned, like, the gravity, if you will, of selling, or like, you know, wrestling is not, it's not like a video game where you do moves and then like you recover instantly, but sort of the idea that the longer a match goes on, sort of the heavier it kind of needs to get, sort of like the, the idea of like remembering damage that you took earlier in the match. Yeah. And just to, just how to, how to how to protect that and make sure that that's something that that uh, gets used in your match if it's, if it's appropriate. Totally random here, but was Jimmy Olsen? Does anyone know? Was that also the paperboy from Superman? Too? I just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember like, when I hear that name. Ah, <laughs> uh. same name. It is okay. <laughs> Now, as we covered earlier, as a wrestler, we were finally able to see you on Uncharted Territory. And that match with you and Jay Freddy, where he took that horrifying, like, fall to Uh. the ground. I think we tried getting you on just after that. Because we we had interviewed Jay Freddy a couple weeks before, because we were fans of both of yours and that just happened in the middle and it was just wild to see but what other promotions have you worked with i've got you down for empire state wrestling and i see another one called pwr i wasn't familiar with that pwr is a promotion that runs in Erie, pennsylvania and they booked me for about a year and a half now but i've worked for them for a lot of years over the years that i've been wrestling I was the PBR Henway champion for almost a year. I just lost it recently to Ben Cole. But it's, it's been a, the PBR, they, they've given me a lot of freedom to sort of have main event matches with people who can, you know, just let me have the kind of match that I want to have. So it's, it's been a lot of fun and I've been a, been a heel there. It's a, I always say there's like, a, there's different kind of crowds in, in wrestling and sort of, it's, it's wise to anticipate that, you know, like there's, um, there's super indie crowds and there's certain stuff that you can expect a, a super indie crowd to, to get. And like Wrestling and Beyond was the first, I would say, fully formed super indie crowd that I've really gotten to wrestle in front of at least regularly. And then there's, there's, you know, there's more local crowds and more like kids and families there. And there are, there will be like young adults there as well. But, uh, you know, 
the PBR is a lot of uh, heavy one face, and it is in, in Beyond Wrestling too. It's a different sort of, uh, it's a different kind of wrestling. You know, it's a there's a local indie crowd and there's a super indie crowd, and they kind of want different things, or or there's different things won't work for them. One last question for you. How have your goals changed as your careers progressed? And do you have any goals that are currently on your list ahead of you? That's a good question. If you would ask me, it, it changed a lot. It was sort of depending on the mood. But if, if you would ask me, you know, in 2016 or something, all, all I really wanted to do was, um, you know, be a good trainer and produce good wrestlers and sort of, you know, watch them succeed as much as possible. But I still want that. It, it, it is, you know, in many ways, maybe the most satisfying thing I've done in wrestling is train other people. Although last year was a, was a really fun year as far as like creative fulfillment. Wrestling ESW and I had a really big match with Daniel, Daniel Garcia, who, who is uh, someone who trained all grapplers. And James wrestling beyond and really being given some freedom in my, my first match there to go, you know, 18, 20 minutes with Jay Freddy. So that was a really, a really special year. But most my goals now as far as, as being a wrestler are just to, to train people as effectively and, and to make them be as the best wrestlers they could possibly be and to sort of give them an education that not only helps them contribute well to shows, but hopefully they'll pass on, you know, a, uh, a better wrestling than, than the one we inherited. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, there can be a lot of interference and sort of social problems in wrestling. As important as it is to become a good wrestler, I think it's, it's really important to um, encourage people to contribute to a positive environment, a positive culture in wrestling. Hopefully, hopefully we're doing that. And sort of along with that, you know, understand like how we get, you know, your fair, your fair market value in wrestling. But uh, yeah, just, I, I, as far as a wrestler, I just want to uh, have good matches with uh, with people for as long as I can, and, and to train people well and create many good wrestlers as we can, and I don't know, just keep learning about wrestling and keep learning wrestling a lot of stuff. I, I think I think the next thing for for me as far as like the wrestling business stuff is to maybe start talking to some major investors at WWE and seeing what help I may be able to provide them in terms of understanding WWE as a business and the industry that they're a part of. Nice, that would be a major move. Before we let you go, is there anything you want to promote? Where can people find you? Sure, uh, you can go to WrestleMonics.com, which is, I sort of relaunched that as kind of a blog and kind of a, a library of resources for data about the wrestling business. Uh, I think it'll be, it's really useful for people doing research on wrestling, people who are writing about wrestling or, or whatever. So that's at WrestleMonics.com. You can follow WrestleMonics on Twitter, at WrestleMonics. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brandon Thurston. You can follow Grapplers Anonymous, at Graps Anonymous. And I've got no shows to promote because of COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have merchandise that people can find anywhere? If you really want a Page of Saints pro wrestling shirt, I've probably got a few of them if you DM me. DMs are open. Excellent. Thank, Thank you, you, Brandon. I can't tell you how big this interview was for me, listening to you so often, and then actually getting to have you on the show. It's been an honor. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. That means a lot. You know, we, uh, when we have, when we do, like, the Patreon, you know, we have, like, X number of uh, people there, but it, it means a lot to, like, when people reach out or to hear the voices of people that have, that have supported us and 
makes it feel like it's worthwhile. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, and hopefully you stay healthy during this outbreak. Yeah, stay safe. Yeah, you guys too. Big ass tits. Welcome to the 531, where we take our top five list on a particular subject, narrow it down to a top three list, and then further narrow it down to a top one list. <laughs> this week, we got top announcers. Mm. Jesse from New Hampshire brought us Jim. <laughs> you can be all right, Dave. Like in the middle of a laugh cough. <coughs> there we go. Very, very peculiar for me. Never had that feeling. Mm. All right, Jesse from New Hampshire. <laughs> <coughs> All right, Jesse from New. Je- <laughs> we gotta pull ourselves together. Too much fucking funning around. Oh yeah, funning. All right, Jesse from New. <laughs> yeah, Jesse. never gonna get it this is like those uh outtakes we'll be real yeah, except we're keeping <laughs> this in yeah, yeah, i yeah. mean we'll, we might edit out so whatever folks i didn't even realize ah! dave could die from the corona yeah we're, we're, we're risking our, I'm, I'm risking his life mm. to make art for you guys i'm sorry yeah i put it all on the line no worries love you guys <laughs> all right jesse go ahead you got this baby all day long God damn. It's like Austin Theory. All day long, baby. All day long. All right, loyal listener. There you go. Uh, Loyal listener to the show, Jesse from New Hampshire, had Jim Ross, Joey Styles, Jerry Lawler, Mm. JBL, Mm. and Dusty Rhodes. Dusty! I like that. I like that Dusty made the list. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't make my list for as many times as I've watched old ah, WCW. You know, I, I like Dusty. He wouldn't make mine as top announcers. I mean, he's entertaining. He was my favorite promo of all time. I think we did a 5-3-1 where we almost booted him out, and I fought for him to stay on in one damn thing. But as far as announcers go, entertaining, but wouldn't be like in my top five or anything. But I, I do, he did have his roadisms, as he would call it, where, you know, they clubbering, baby. They clubbering in the corner, baby. <laughs> Pay window. I love that. All right, anyway. Now, Zach had Bobby Heenan, mm-hmm. Vince McMahon, yeah. Gordon Soley, mm. Jesse Ventura, and Jim Ross. Sure, that's a good list. You know, I don't know so far. I mean, uh, he's, they're not on my list, too. I, I almost put Gorilla Monsoon. I haven't heard his name yet. I wonder if he'll make a list. Uh, Gorilla is influential in my day. I'm sure he'll pop up. This is where the lists take a bit of a turn because Will Tricity from the Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Ooh. Group had Joe McHugh, huh. Tony Chimmel. Okay. Gary Michael Campetta. Oh, you want the announcers. Huh. Howard Finkel. Mm-hmm. And Dave Penzer slash Justin Roberts. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I told people announcers slash commentators. Okay, I put it down as announcers. Okay. I mean, as a, I mean, it, it's open to interpretation because announcers really are like Michael Buffer style. So. Yeah, we're, we might almost... Do like a side list just for the announcers. Sure, you know what? That's that's fair. There's almost like a fifty fifty split I, I because want, yeah, I want people's stuff to be heard. So let's do this. Because Benji Fido, Benji Fido, F I D O, yeah, Benji, what's up, my man? <laughs> From Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group had Howard Finkel, yep, Tom Miller, mm. Gary Michael Capetta, Dave Penzer, and Boyd Pierce. Okay, okay. 
Uh, Boyd would almost make my list because I've been listening to so much of the Mid-South Review that Mike Mills and Brian Last do, and they're always talking about Boyd Pierce. Yeah, Gary Capetta is a good one, too. He made a couple lists there. I like that. Now, Nolan, you heard him cut a promo last week about mm-hmm. people chicken. on the me case. Yeah, yeah drinking yeah. his dick while waiting. Mm-hmm. He has Vince McMahon on his list. Yep. Bobby Heenan. He said Attitude Era Lawler. So I'm assuming that's the Lawler that called Goldust a fag? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. And um, I mean, I think more about screaming about puppies, <clears throat> stuff like that. That was Attitude Lawler cutting a promo. We didn't oh, always get yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that would have gone over week to week. JR tells a story about that. That was King kind of going to business for himself, trying to get some heat and be entertaining. I can't imagine he was sitting next to Vince there. <laughs> Even in that era, I think Vince would be like, God damn it, Jerry. I agree with you, but shut up. <laughs> yeah, like it's an old territory way to get heat, and it's not necessarily something you want to get on TV. Mm. Now, Nolan finishes off his list with Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. And Jim Ross. There you go. You know, Jim Ross says a lot of nice things about Garo Monsoon on his podcast. He's talked about, like, when he first got over to WWF at the time, that people didn't like him just because he came from WCW. And Gorilla, like, you know, spoke up for him. And there's even a story where Alfred Hayes wasn't very kind to Jim at one point. And Gorilla talked to uh, Alfred and said, Alfred, you know, he's trying to work in our business just like you are. He's trying to make a living. You should be ashamed of yourself, Alfred. And Alfred, I was like, I guess Alfred shut the fuck up. Because when Gorilla, yeah, when Gorilla tell you something, Alfred said, you know what, I'm going to shut the fuck up. Because that's how his little British ass sounded. Anyway. But anyway. Brian Damon had, he's also from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group. Mm. He had Howard Finkel. Yep. Tony Chimmel. Mm. Bob Artez. Gary Michael Capetta and Joe McHugh. Hmm. Randy Osga. Yeah. Had Jim Ross, mm. Gordon Soley, Bobby Heenan, Lance Russell, and Tony Schiavone. Oh, come on, Waller. That's <laughs> what I think of every time I hear Lance Russell. <laughs> Chris Zauha, always going to be Zouching to me from Zouching. Rock and Randy's Rock and mm. Wrestling Group, had Lance Russell. Yes. Bob Caudle. Mm. Jesse Ventura. Jim Ross. And Gordon Soley. Glad to see Bob Cottle make the list. Great, great a commentator. And he's another one that gets talked about really well. Jim Ross talks about him nice. And also Tony Schiavone has mentioned in the past that if Bob Cottle's not in the WWE Hall of Fame, he doesn't want to be in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Yeah. Conrad said they're going to butt duck his ass anyway. But he likes their not when he's dead. But yeah. <clears throat> Now Jake had Gordon Soley, mm-hmm. Jim Ross, yeah. Bobby Heenan, Lance Russell, Joey Styles. And Don Callis. Oh, come on, Jake. We see you. <laughs> Brian Huff from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group mm. had Marty O'Neill, mm. Gary Michael Capetta, mm. Joe McHugh, Boyd Pierce, yes, and Howard Finkel. We definitely have two separate lists going on. The Rock and Wrestling Crew was under a different impression. Yeah, I, I should, probably should have put slash commentators, but yeah, that's all right. That's what happens when you get working fans. We're cramming stuff in here mm-hmm. because I didn't realize I was putting Dave's life at risk. You know what? <laughs> the quote of a very smart man. We're fucked. <laughs> We're fucked, Mister Hitman. <laughs> We're fucked. We're fucked. Scott had Jr. Mm. Heenan, Gordon Soley. Lance Russell, and Joey Styles. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to give you my list. I had Howard Finkel, mm-hmm. Gorilla Monsoon, yeah. after a change. I originally had Jim Ross, but yeah. I think about all the old, the classic WWF that I watched, and Monsoon's all over it. 
Mm. Gary Michael Capetta, yeah. because I was big on WCW and just that early announcing of mm. his. Originally, I had Bob Cottle, but I had to take him off and put Gordon Soley. And rounding out my list with Bobby Heenan. Yeah, the brain. Dave, who'd you have on your list? For me, I'm going to go backwards here. I have Tony Schiavone. He made my list because uh, he was like one of the first guys that I kind of like really recognized, like in terms of announcers that I liked. You know, like I grew up on Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura, and Gorilla Monsoon. And the AWA was like the next promotion I found, but they didn't really have any announcers that stuck out. NWA had Tony Schiavone and David Crockett. But uh, I like Tony a little better. So, Mauro Inaro, I put him on there because, quite frankly, I think he's one of the most exciting uh, announcers today. I love his work. And the guy can do it all. Pro wrestling, boxing, MMA, student of the game. Paul Heyman, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best color guys in the business. Great at getting heat. The only guy I think that would be really better would be my next one, Bobby DeBrain Heenan, who might be the most talented man in the business. Like When you think about it, this guy was a great wrestler. This guy was a great manager. This guy was a great color commentator. Can't say enough good things about Bobby. <clears throat> but for me, I think I've told the story before. My number one guy is Mr. Jim Ross. This all goes back from Mid-South Wrestling. And I've mentioned this before when I saw Michael Hayes and Ted DiBiase get into a fight at the desk. And Jim Ross called it the goddamnedest fight he'd ever seen. And they're beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> they broke it in half. I remember one time. Never mind. That's another story for another time. But anyway. So now for commentators, obviously JR's made a few lists. Oh, yeah. That's what he damn well should. <laughs> trying to see who else made a few. Heenan. Heenan, yeah. What was AJ's list? Excuse me. Did you um, miss AJ? Fuck. Oh, see, we're not done yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. I didn't write AJ's down. Oh, uh, shit. We almost lost AJ. I got you, AJ. <laughs> I got you. Guys, now it's very easy to see how Randy's list got left off a month ago. Yeah. All right. So uh, what is AJ's list? You want me to read it off right now? Yeah, read it off. I fucked up. All right, all right. Hold on a second here. I got you, AJ. I got you, baby. AJ's got Lance Russell. Oh, come on, AJ. <laughs> He's got, oh, my God, Joey Styles. Oh, Gordon Soley. That drunk. <laughs> Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Jesse Ventura. I don't have a good Jesse impression. But I don't have any good impressions, really, other than Lance. So that's AJ's list. AJ basically told me that um, if I include color commentators, that it would be like Paul Heyman, Bobby Heenan, and Jim Cornette. Mm. But he didn't even put Jim Cornette or Paul Heyman thing on his list just now. So I read it kind of fast, but you did. So Man... I gotta be honest. So I, Jr. and Heenan obviously made a bunch of lists. So who, Lan- who do you want in that third spot for well, commentators? Who else makes a lot of lists here? I think Lance Russell. Lance Russell, you want to throw him in that third one? Oh, come on, Joe. Of course I do. <laughs> I mean, I like Morrow, but Morrow didn't really make enough people's list. Yeah. So I can be, uh, you know. All right. So top three lists for commentators: Jr. Heenan, Lance Russell. Sure. Top three lists for announcers, I've got Finkel, Gary Michael, Capetta, Boyd Pierce. Let's start with commentators. Who's the first to go? J.R. Lance Russell or Bobby Heenan? All right, since Bobby's the greatest color man of all time, entertaining, it depends what you like, right? Do you want these guys to be entertaining or do you want to get it straight? Me, personally, as much as I love the entertainment aspect... I need that serious front man from some time to put over wrestling. I'm going to get Bobby to step down in this one. All right. Wow, Bobby's the first Bobby's one gotta to get go. voted. All right. I mean, he's the best overall, but in this particular list, I'm going to narrow that son of a bitch down to Jim Ross and Lance Russell. All right. How do you do it between Jim Ross and Lance Russell? I'm going to refer to you. 
because I'm a biased motherfucker and Jim Ross would get my pick every goddamn time. All right. I don't care if he says something about some Orientals on the TV. All right. He's got my vote. Oh, come on, Dave. Oh, come on. Because I'm going to pick JR as well. Okay. As much as I like Lance Russell. Yeah. I didn't grow up on him as much. I do enjoy hearing him when I want that old school wrestling yes. feel now. Yes. But JR has been doing it for a long right. time. And we're talking about JR's complete body of work. Yeah, and he's been my favorite in WCW. Right. And I'm going to listen to him tonight, actually, as well. Yeah, you will. Or no, I won't. Well, probably not, because JR's yeah. trying to be safe at his house quarantine. Yep. And Stay safe, Jim. <laughs> some, of, some of your co-workers are actually helping you out. Yeah. Oh, come on, Corona. <laughs> <laughs> right now, we're doing an empty arena podcast, it feels like. And yeah. I'm making deep work. Yeah. So the top three announcers, we got Howard Finkel, Gary Michael Capetta, Boyd Pierce. I don't know enough about Mr. Pierce. He was on an AEW Dynamite, I yeah. believe. And, uh, was that him, actually? Boyd Pierce? Yeah. Was it... Uh, no, no, it was Brown. Something Brown. Dave Brown? Dave Brown, yeah. Yeah, Lance Russell's partner. Yeah, he was excellent. No, Boyd Pierce was ring announcer for Mid-South. Yes. Always yes. had the flash jackets. Yeah. He did the Houston Wrestler, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when you put him up against Capetta and Finkel, it's not fair. No, no, I would, I'd bump his ass. Uh, I mean, if we were more Mid-South guys, more I, Houston wrestling. I, here's the thing, though, Joe. I grew up on some UWF slash Mid-South wrestling. Oh, okay, and so. I, and I, yeah, and I mean, like, no offense to Pierce. He's not a guy that stuck out. Now, granted, as I watched those that, jackets didn't stick out, motherfucker sparkled like a diamond. I mean, shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> Listen, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he wasn't talented, but I, I think I also turned in a little bit towards the end. Oh. And Bill might have had his son doing. His son would help out with commentary once in a while. Okay. Anyway, he just didn't stick out enough as the other two. Uh, the other day, uh, Gary Capetta and Mike Finkel definitely stick out. Here's the thing: I love me some Gary Michael Capetta. Trying to get that motherfucker on the podcast if he hears this. Love that guy. However, no offense to him. Just got to go to Finkel because of that day, iconic voice, right? That guy is who I think of when it comes to pro wrestling announcers. It's Howard Finkel. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to see him in his current state. Very beat. Like, the last couple times they've showed him not looking well in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see him like that. But what? That's the voice of our childhood pretty Most much. Child. Love that guy. All right, guys, so thank you for once again joining us for the 531, and we'll talk to you again next week. Peace. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 